0: Before I get started, there are two things I need to say. First, author's note. Because I'm a little obsessive, I began writing this in December when we thought we would have a winter. And so I'm gonna ask you to play along and to imagine That outside, the winds are howling, and the snow is blowing and drifting, and the roads are horrible, and we're miserable. (laughs) The other is there will be opportunities for audience participation. But it's pretty easy. You'll see. But if you're like me, by about this time of winter, at least in a normal year, you've probably just about reached your breaking point and are quite ready for it all to be over. And for you, I'm sorry to say, I have some bad news. Uh, To be fair, it's news that we heard earlier this week from another Phil, um, a rodent in Pennsylvania, As our annual tradition demands, that Phil made an appearance a few days ago to look for his shadow. Now, this is a smart bookish crowd and you've probably already realized that that Phil has a pretty sweet gig. If he sees his shadow, then there are six more weeks of winter. On the other hand, if he doesn't see his shadow, spring is only six weeks away. (laughs) See how that works? shadow or no shadow, the answer really is the same either way. So that groundhog realistically faces rather little pressure. And of course the idea that Pennsylvania has only six more weeks of winter means precious little to us here in Minnesota where, shadow or no, we might normally start warming up sometime around June. Over the years I have developed a well-honed system for convincing myself I'll be able to survive yet another winter. To truly understand the magnificence of this system, first you need to recall that we have two different ways of marking the seasons. The one that we're most familiar with, particularly around here, is the astronomical or astrological calendar, which is tied to the cycle of the seasons, which ultimately is based on the Earth's journey around the sun. This is the familiar approach based on equinoxes and solstices. But we likely know there's also the meteorological calendar, which reflects the temperatures on the ground. The coldest three months are winter, followed by three slightly less cold months that we optimistically call spring, and so on. These do not necessarily align with the traditional equinox and solstice cycle. Under the meteorological calendar, winter begins December 1st and runs to the end of February, which this year will add another day of dubious joy to the season. I tend to approach December 1st therefore with some trepidation bordering on dread because it brings meteorological winter and the days are getting both colder and darker. But to be honest, my real approach to coping with December 1st tends to be just to look nervously away from the date altogether. Instead, I focus on a date some 20 days later, the winter solstice, when winter actually begins, right? According to the astronomical calendar, While the meteorologists are going on about winter, I'm able to spend those first three weeks of December in happy denial, insisting that it's fall. (laughs) Winter solstice naturally is a safe date to embrace because while it's the technical beginning of winter, it comes with its own powerful and hopeful trade-off. The days begin to get longer. Not warmer, unfortunately, but at least longer. And this is a very important development not to be ignored. But by December 21st, even I'm forced to admit that winter has indeed begun. It's at this point that I largely switch over opportunistically to the meteorological approach. (laughs) You may think that I should feel ethically bound to ignore that cycle entirely since I did that at the beginning of December, but I don't. (laughs) I have long since made peace with the fact that I pick and choose between the two systems in order to meet my own emotional needs. The next stage of my winter coping mechanism kicks in January 1st. You see, on that day, meteorologically speaking, winter's already a third over. Whereas for those poor souls lashed to the astronomical calendar, it's barely begun. And there's another critical psychological milestone achieved that day. Prior to January 1st, We speak, perhaps with tears in our eyes, of the long, far-off next spring and next summer of mysterious, unknown 2024. But as of January 1st, we're now able to talk exuberantly of this spring, this summer, the ones that will happen in this magical new year of 2024. It's like we already begin to feel warm. Two weeks later, the astronomical sorts are grieving that the winter's first month has not even ended, but for those who selectively rely on the meteorological system, winter's half over. (laughs) That's great. And in shorter, it gets even better. Within roughly a day or two, the average daily temperatures here in the Twin Cities begin to creep up. This is the time when in a typical year, our temperature shoots from minus (laughs) 244.2 to minus (laughs) 244.19 if you're in the sun. As marginal a difference as this may seem, psychologically, we're now on the steady upward rise that will carry us joyfully into July. This is important stuff. On February 1st, another critical point is reached. Meteorological winter is two-thirds over, and we're in its final month. And we now get to say spring begins next month. And having relied on the astronomical cycle to insist winter didn't begin until December 21st, we can now conveniently call a meteorology to claim that spring arrives March 1st. Aha. And not three weeks later, for particularly devious people, we can say that usually the day after February 28th is March 1st. And so the fact that we accidentally find ourselves in a leap year means that we can fudge it a bit and declare that spring really arrives February 29th, the day after February 28th. Which really means that on February 1st, we can actually say spring begins this month. Which means we really only have one full month of winter, January, and surely we can survive one silly little month. This is what going to law school will do to a person. (laughs) And for those who celebrate, we can also add that daylight savings time begins next month too, so we get lighter evenings back. Now, if you happen to be one of those heathens who don't love daylight savings time, I would absolutely fight you over that out in our parking lot. (laughs) But since we have no parking lot, you're safe for now. Which brings us to February 2nd, when Phil in Pennsylvania does his show with his shadow. Traditionally, the relevance of this date is that it represents roughly the halfway point of astronomical winter between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. As you may recall from our annual celebration of Lamas on the first Sunday of August, the halfway point between an equinox and a solstice is often referred to as a cross-quarter day. Lamas is one example, but others come down to us in our modern era as Halloween, May Day, and of course, Groundhog's Day. This is most certainly not the first era in history when this particular cross-quarter day has been recognized one way or another. For example, in parts of ancient Europe, this point in the calendar was commemorated as Imbolc, sometimes spelled with a G at the end instead of a C, and the word is subject to a variety of pronunciations. For ease of conversation, I'm going to stick with the pronunciation that appears to align with the most common spelling. Bearing in mind that the ancient communities from which we inherit some of these special days were overwhelmingly agricultural, it will likely be no surprise to learn that imbok was also seen through the lens of agricultural and pastoral experiences. Both frameworks, one based on plants, the other on animals, ultimately wind up producing basically the same type of concept. Now, what I'm about to relate is utterly and irredeemably alien to our typical experience of February in Minnesota, and I urge you to suspend your sense of disbelief. But in parts of Europe, this time of year may merely be chilly and wet, not frozen solid. There, it is not inconceivable to imagine that the planting season is reasonably close. Whereas here, we are more likely to behold barren fields frozen with snow. But our our best hope lies in seeing the first reappearance of flower pots at Target. (laughs) But in these magical places, Elsewhere, in, uh, at this time of year, people had little difficulty imagining that seeds or roots in the earth were beginning vaguely to stir, tentatively reaching down into the soil for sustenance, gathering the strength to send forth the first fragile shoots upward to renew the vital connection with the sun that will eventually lead to growth, flowering, and ultimately to harvest. Similarly, this is the time of year in such climes when those who tended animals, animals who often gave birth in the spring, observed that their livestock had reached the point in the gestation process where the young in the womb would begin to stir as they prepare for birth. Imbok then came to be seen as a bit of a magical moment when things unseen, buried roots, fetuses in gestation, even groundhogs in their subterranean lairs, begin to move with the prospect of emergent life to come. It is a time when even a shadow can be taken as a prophecy since it's a time of promise, hope, and anticipation of things to come. In her book, Celestially Auspicious Occasions, right author Donna Hennis evokes the magic of this period in our calendar when she writes, the days are perceptibly longer now. There is the faintest breath of a whisper of the coming of spring in the air. There begin to be signs of the first tiny buds, like goosebumps on bare skin, beginning to form on naked branches. Snowdrops appear, pushing their fragile blooms up through the still frosty soil. Hibernating animals begin a restless stir in their underground nests. They toss and turn and awaken enough to devour a midnight meal then turn over and tuck back in again for the duration. It isn't spring yet, but there is the palpable promise, the eager anticipation of the resurgence of life that comes each spring. Now, marking Imbolc is not merely some ancient forgotten ritual. Some of you may have noticed in the Star Tribune last week a photo taken at a celebration at the Dubliner pub excuse me, in St. Paul of an Irish festival known as St. Bridget's Day. As the National Museum of Ireland explains, with its origins in the Celtic fertility festival of Imbolc, meaning giving birth, St. Bridget's Day on February 1st signals the beginning of spring and an end to the darkness of winter, ushering in a new season of hope and growth on the land and the birth of animals on the farm and in the wild. The ancient goddess Bridget was associated with the main deities of pre-Christian Gaelic Ireland, As a fertility goddess, she had links to other spring deities across Europe associated with rebirth of nature. The Christian church adopted the ancient Celtic feast days that were linked to nature and amalgamated them into the Christian calendar. But as the museum notes, Bridget the saint, along with other other patron saints of Ireland, was never officially made a saint by any pope. I should note here that the museum adds Parenthetically and without even a remote hint of bitterness that in 1999 Pope John Paul II declared another Bridget, St. Bridget of Sweden, a patron saint of Europe. So St. Bridget's Day is not, it seems, technically a church holiday. Nonetheless, Imbolc was indeed pressed into service to the new religion in a more formal way and renamed Candlemas. An entry adapted from the Encyclopedia Encyclopedia Britannica reports that Candlemas is a Christian festival on February 2nd, commemorating the occasion when the Virgin Mary, in obedience to Jewish law, went to the temple in Jerusalem, both to be purified 40 days after the birth of her son, Jesus, and to present him to God as her firstborn. The earliest reference to the festival is from Jerusalem, where the the late 4th century pilgrim Etheria attended its celebration on February 14th, 40 days after Epiphany, which was then celebrated as Jesus' birthday. It soon spread to other eastern cities, and in 542 of the Common Era, Emperor Justinian I decreed that its date should be moved back to February 2nd, 40 days after Christmas. By the middle of the 5th century, the custom of observing the festival with lighted candles had been introduced and the name Candlemas developed from this custom. One Catholic source reports that the church created this celebration to replace pagan cults that placed light at the heart of their rituals. The Romans, in fact, held torch-lit processions in February to purify the earth at the end of winter. It was also the month of the Lupercalia, a festival of purification held in Rome on 15th of February to revive fertility by releasing vital forces. In the original entry, the transition word at the beginning of the following sentence is the word however. I invite you to replace that in your mind with the word predictably. <laughs> however, over time, the Lupercalia became conducive to scandalous success. <laughs> and the Christian community looked upon these practices with a disapproving eye. In the year 494, Pope Galatius I decided to ban this festival, replacing it with candlemas, processions, and the blessing of candles in churches. Now, to me, a fertility festival given to scandal success sounds a bit more entertaining than blessing candles. (laughs) But this may be a matter of personal taste. Nonetheless, blessed or not, candles themselves carry their own meaning for many of us as the blog Candle Delirium explains. (laughs) I don't make this up. (laughs) It's there. In a quite unique way, candles radiate messages of romance, passion, security, warmth, hope, spirituality, mystery, to name just a few. Candles are indeed a burning example that the whole is more than the sum of its parts, be they just a little wax and a wick as they are. Deeply rooted in almost every religious and spiritual practice, creed and nationality, there is something peculiar and symbolic in a solitary flame and the aura of light surrounding it. It communicates with our souls. It speaks beyond words. It enlightens, enlivens, inspires, whispers secrets, comforts, and ultimately connects. No matter how thick the darkness, the light of one candle conquers it. No matter how solitary one flame is, it is never alone or lonely, for, it light, for its light knows no boundaries and touches eternity. One need look no further than the chalice right here on the stage to see that this in action in our own congregational home. According to the Unitarian Universalist Association, of which we are a part, Hans Deutsch, an Austrian artist, first brought together the chalice and flame as a Unitarian symbol during his work with the Unitarian Service Committee during World War II. To Deutsch, the image had connotations of sacrifice and love. Unitarian Universalists today have many different interpretations of the flaming chalice, including the light of reason, the warmth of community, and the flame of hope, or perhaps as we say here, the fire of commitment. Now, I warned you that there would be an audience participation moment. (laughs) (laughs) And today we'd like to create an opportunity to bring these early February themes together. The light of the candle and the stirring of things perhaps unseen which seek to burst forth into light. By inviting members of our on-site congregation to come forward, light a candle, say their name and briefly share something, a hope, a dream, an aspiration within you that you look forward to seeing come to life and growing as 2024 unfolds. Let's see if I can do this. There we go. For those joining us online, we invite you to share your hope, your dream or your aspiration briefly in the chat and we'll read it aloud and a candle will be lit here in order to honor that i just start us out in reading her poem lisa said some of us have nerves and so right and so the the hope that i have some of you know this i think that i have been asked to do a or invited to do a session this summer at unistar so, don't think I don't have nerves about that. But I'm gonna light this in hopes that it is not a catastrophe. There we go, whew. As if the flame had gone out, that would have been a really bad omen. Woo! And so, I mean, we have a full house. I don't know if you have seen this, and the folks on, online may not be able to see this. I have not seen this room this full in, I don't know, years? A couple of years? I don't even know, fantastic. But I'm really hoping that there are some folks out here in the audience who might be willing to come forward and share something. Come on up, Martha, and share. And Nick, good to see you. Um, What is something on your mind or in your heart, a hope, a dream, or an aspiration that you have for 2024? I'm Martha Hardesty, and my hope is that we all come together as a congregation to deal with the... Shocking news that we all received on Friday morning, and that we show the strengths that we have built together with these folks who have guided us for these last many years and work our way to a shocking but probably pretty good future. There we go. All right. Thanks, brother. Just grab a candle and then light it off for this one. Good morning. Polly Peterson, I hope for new civility in our country. Thank you. Yes, yeah. grab a candle and go ahead and light it. Nick. Good morning. My name is Nick Rouse, and I have aspirations and hope for my new grandbabies, Awen and Ider, who are now in Lansing, Michigan, and we are becoming part of their immediate family. So that's my aspirations for their future. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm Sheila Callender, and not just 2024, but beyond, that my grandchildren and their grandchildren have a world that's clean, the skies are clear, and there's a lot of green. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Anita Martinez, this is a little more practical, and I'm hoping that the work that I've been doing with Richard Dale and Jean Mandan and Doug Rohde, that we'll be able to have an online bookstore and open every Sunday pretty soon. Fantastic. Thank you. I hadn't heard about that. That's good. Good Alan Steinhauer. uh, Obviously, I wish for some of the common things that we want, and that's a better world. But with gratitude, I I am thankful for 38 years of sobriety. Morning, y'all. My name is Mage Adams. Um, I have so many aspirations for this year, but I guess a main one for me um, is to... I'm hoping to be a little bit more deeply engaged in the communities that I am a part of, including right. this one which is really new for me, so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, hello, I'm Wendy Amberg, and my hope is for improved health throughout our family. As you can see, I just <laughs> <laughs> no injuries. No Hi, Teresa Zingari. My hope is that our new animal action team will get going and be strong and help educate people towards more compassion to all animals in the world. Thank you. He warned me. And I figured if he warned me, I would come up here. My name is Kathleen Quinn, and everybody ahead of me has already said the big aspirations, and I agree with those, but my own personal one is to stay off the cigarettes, get my knee replaced, and have my gardens resume this year. Fantastic. Light at least one candle. Thank you, Phil. My name is Larry Gotchuk. (laughs) Um, My obsession right now is that my very good friend, Stan, does an emotional and spiritual recovery from the loss of his wife last Thursday uh, and that Jerry's memory lives on. Thank you. My name is Pat Gotchuk. His wife and I have a personal one, and that is, Larry's having heart surgery on February 14th, and so I wish for a successful outcome. Absolutely. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Maureen Hunt, and I'm a teacher. And I, my hope, my aspiration is to, that, that uh, unions get stronger right now, and we actually start to have a shift. And... Consider public education a public good, not the bad guys' teachers. We are we are there to help grow the future. Good morning. Uh, Rick Gravrock, and I, I wish that we uh, do a lot better job of listening to the youth because they want to have a livable future, and I certainly support them. In particular, I've been working with a group called the Sunrise Movement there's a local hub here and around the country and their two big deals are a good paying job for everybody and the other one is some form of the Green New Deal. Thank you. Thanks. Hello everybody my name is Matt Dooley Um, I'm a newer member here and um, Phoebe Chastain who's been a member here since 2019 I think um, we are getting married here on February 24th by Rev Kelly. And so we're just really excited to continue to get to know this community and celebrate in this beautiful space and hopefully be around here for a long, long time. Okay, we have a couple from online. Uh, Joe Haberman says that she hopes that our democracy survives and deepens. Yes. And uh, Molly... Says, my hope is that I move forward with my dreams, and reality doesn't only ground me, but fuels my head with new dreams. Sorry, Molly. That one. There, there we go. It worked, Molly. You're good. Uh, All right. And so I will now light this final candle. In honor of those hopes. And dreams and aspirations that weren't quite ready to be spoken aloud today in hopes that their time, too, will come. And now, we will temporarily, temporarily I say, move this platform toward the middle of the room. And I invite you to feel these hopes, these dreams, and these aspirations taking their place among us here in this space. For a second time this morning, let's just take a moment of silence. Close your eyes if you wish. And let these candles represent all the serious hopes that we bring to this special place. And let the faint light and warmth of these candles, like the slow-growing power of the winter sun, draw you into a process of growth, emergence, and ultimately, abundance. In his 1923 poem, Dreams, Langston Hughes wrote, hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go like a barren field frozen with snow excuse me, life is a barren field frozen with snow, excuse me. And as the poem, poet Becky Helmsley, whom we heard from earlier, exhorts, so find yourself a candle and allow its tiny spark to ignite you back into life and put the fire back in your heart. This Groundhog's Day, Imbolc, St. Bridget's Day, and Candlemas, so may it be. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.